and welcome to another edition of The Dice Are Screaming. Oh, oh that sounds bad. Uh, it's a the horse. Oh. It's a yeah. pony. Aha, gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> I see what you did there. I'm Randy. I'm Mike. Yeah, he sure is. And together, we form the Dice Are Screaming podcast. We are both the Dice Men. Welcome to a Friday edition, which means the weekend is here, and hopefully you have some gaming lined up. As do we. Yes. You know, and man, our weekend is usually, well, it's like, what is it, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Uh, yeah. But, uh... Well, we're busy. Yeah, we are busy, which is, you know, surprising. I mean, given that we're the bad ham of gaming podcasts. Ooh, bad yeah. ham. Yeah. Which, isn't it just a cruelty that there can even be such a thing? Where it's on the borderline and you don't know if it's safe anymore. Well, well you, you take it and take a bite out of it. You'll know soon enough when you shut up. And that's the way it is with this podcast. It's an app description. So, yes, we are the yeah. bad ham of gaming podcasts. You you're, never know until you bite in. You're either all in or all out. You oh. know, it's one way or another, but you'll find out. Yep. So we got some topic lined up for you. Um, we're coming off our Forgotten Realms, a little uh, two-parter. Yeah. And so we got some call-ins for that. So Joe Richter... So I'll fit to grace us with his... He has deigned to uh, visit upon us his his personage. Yes, and his thoughts. So we're going to hand it right off to Joe. Take it away, Joe. What's up, boys? It's Joe Richter. Uh, that was another great episode. I love hearing about the uh, Forgotten Realms back in the 90s because during that time I was either playing Merp or Rollmaster or Cyberpunk 2020. You know, I've never really been a lifelong diehard D&D guy, more of just a RPG dude overall. Um, but I would love to know about some of your lesser known favorite settings, you know, other than Forgotten Realms, other than Greyhawk. Like, did you guys get into Birthright at all? Um, yeah, I think that might be an interesting episode. I can't remember if you've already done one on that. You might have. I got the memory of a sieve sometimes. But anyway, you dudes, keep it up. You guys are killing it. Uh, have a great day and I'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks for that, um, or those kind words, Joe. Thanks again for calling in, man. Always a treat to hear from you, and uh, you're right, in the 90s, uh, we were also playing a lot of other games, Shadowrun. Um, yeah, there was some cyberpunk in there, too, but... Uh, oh, yes, uh, Dash of Earth Dawn, uh, Middle-Earth role-playing. Yeah, uh, Warhammer. Oh, yeah, uh, Warhammer Fantasy uh, in the classic original edition. Yep. Uh, the entire campaign series mm -hmm. yeah. for uh, well, the enemy within. Yeah, we'll be covering that as uh, yeah, Cubicle Seven's uh, coming out with a new one, so we're kind of excited about that. But the re-release of that is a big deal to us. So Ravenloft, uh, Vampire, Werewolf. Yeah, we ran. We were pretty much a very busy gaming group, but uh, other D and D campaign settings: Planescape, uh, Ravenloft. Birthright, Dark Sun, yeah, we're going to be covering those, so uh, stay tuned. Yeah, and personal favorites, I mean, outside of the Greyhawk Forgotten Realms zone, uh, now you had a Birthright campaign for a while, did you not? Yes, I did. Uh, and it was well received, from what I am told. I was not present at that time, I had just moved out of town. Uh, much to my regret, because uh, Birthright captured a lot of core concepts that have been pipelined into other editions of the game uh, as, like, facets, you know, yeah. and as options in modules. 
you know, you, you'll notice that there are some key elements that were hijacked. They were just lifted whole cloth out of Birthright and started to be included in other editions and other games because it was just a great, well-thought-out, convoluted campaign setting. Yeah, it really had a lot of uh, meat to it. So and I think it's a shame that it came when it did, when they were kind of paring down their campaign lines. But, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that and but Spelljammer and uh, Personal favorite, uh, I loved Dark Sun, which, I mean, you know, I'm looking forward to a, a day where we do a, a special Dark Sun episode. And we really, like, pick it apart like a buzzard. Yeah. Uh, you know, just going after its carcass like we found it laying in the desert. Reaching towards water. Indeed. Um, which would be very Dark Sun appropriate. <laughs> right. And so, uh, with that, thanks a lot for that. And, uh, yeah, we'll also touch on those games as they come close. I know you're itching for us to do a Merc one. Ooh. And uh, we'll definitely uh, be yeah. doing something Middle Earth related here shortly. So, stay tuned. But, uh, also, some other call-ins from Frostoth. Oh, yes. Next call-ins. Yeah, he has a two-parter for us, so we're just going to let those play back-to-back, -back, and we'll be back with you after the break. Hey, gentlemen, it's Froth. I I apologize, this might be a two-parter, so we'll froth overload, but y'all talk about so many things, and there's so many uh, things that I end up wanting to comment on, but the first thing I want to say, just to kind of clarify my first message, when I talk about the second edition set being nice, I'm really referring more to the production quality, which is really high. As far as time of troubles and sundering and all this kind of stuff, that's exactly what I meant when I prefer the first editions. I don't like the piled up lore. With Greyhawk, you know, the magic is always that it's like a powder keg set up with all these potential conflicts. So each table or campaign plays those out in their own way. That's why I don't like Greyhawk Wars, because it kind of solves those questions. And I don't even try to keep up with the, I'm oblivious to all the um, novels and everything for Forgotten Realms. Um, part two coming up again, sorry for a part two, but I had something else I wanted to say that my favorite, or one of my favorite, uh, supplements for forgotten realms, it may actually be, I don't know. I think it came out in the cusp between first and second. Cause it's got a little thing on there saying works with second edition. So it must've been right as it was starting, but I like the city system box, you know, it's got the huge water deep maps, which are awesome. But the the booklet in there with all the random tables and everything is great. Um, I don't know if it's standalone. And I, you know, I'll usually maybe use something else, another, some more random tables or other city stuff with it. But uh, I think that booklet is a you know diamond in the rough um, there. And anyway, I just appreciate y'all. Uh, very knowledgeable and uh, always great content. So keep up the good work. See ya. All right, and we're back. So thanks again, Brasov. Yeah, um, we do tend to move pretty quick over a pace on the boundaries of our topics. So we do tend to kind of leave people behind or in the dust. So Yeah, yeah and for that, we are genuinely sorry. But we, we have tried to restrict ourselves to a, you know, 35-plus minute, you know, uh, capping out at like 45 minutes tops. And it's so hard. I mean, it's just been the, the most brutal thing we've, we've had to, to cope with uh, is restraining ourselves. Because, honestly, uh, ramblers we may be, but it's a topic we love. So we, we hit some of these things and we're forced to skim uh, and to, to think on our feet. Uh, and it's not necessarily our strong suit. 
but yeah. uh, no, we do we do miss a lot in the in the the hustle. To yeah, so don't feel bad about it. if you have to leave a two parter. We'll we'll make it work. Uh, nonetheless, uh, yeah, Forgotten Realms, and that's why we wanted to cover it like we did. We just kind of wanted to gush on the Forgotten Realms a little bit. For me, it's a little bit of an act of atonement because I have been <laughs> a very uh, kind of harsh critic of Forgotten Realms over the years, and uh, you know, big Greyhawk. Uh, kind of nista for a while but uh that said um i kind of learned much like dr strange love i quit worrying and started to learn to love the forgotten realms <laughs> nice comparison i like so that i did uh huh. i did kind of come to terms with it and then i began to uh, i always had loved the little bits that were included on pages from the mages from my greenwood oh, and sure. dragon and uh it had that's what pulled me in um but yeah, the city system too, uh, box set. Uh, yeah, when we were talking about Lankmar and the city uh, system there, that was kind of lifted as well from that Lankmar and, and kind of given the full treatment that it needed in a uh, deluxe box set. And uh, again, those uh, early second edition uh, transition sets were really jam-packed. I mean, uh, I know that you don't like the Greyhawk Wars uh, box set, but that's a fun game to play. Yeah, and there was a good point you made about... Uh the liveliness of Greyhawk being that uh, there were certain conflicts that were uh, hinted at pretty clearly, you know. Uh, yeah, Temple of Elemental Evil and all that. The lands of Ayas and things like that. Uh, and that that figured heavily into most of our campaign settings, but it was always a splice of the DM working out for themselves how they wanted this to unfold. You know, what was the degree of commitment to how many countries are involved against what other countries? You know, that was a thing that was hand-chosen, and the Greyhawk Wars thing kind of just, like, lifted it up out of the hands and said, this is the new normal. You know, yeah, they, we, I'm we actually ran a, uh, back in the day, we ran a Greyhawk Wars before even the second edition came out kind of a play-by-phone uh, where I talked to five or six players over a period of a month, and we resolved it, each one taking a different country and uh, running with it. So, yeah, that, that's one thing that we can talk about in our Greyhawk episode, which we'll be covering very shortly. Oh, geez, what was Barak doing in that? Wasn't he in Perinland or something like that? Yeah. Or, and he was uh, acting in you know, on their behalf or mm -hmm. with their license and permit? Uh to combat evil. But yeah, we were very heavily invested in the Vesby we, Forest. Which... We descended upon uh, Ayaz's goons. Yep. Well, I mean, like, lured him into, you know, his... Let him make the first move. Where is his big point of attack? And then, you know, converge. Uh, yeah, it kind of did backfire due to necromancy, but, you know, that is the way it goes sometimes. But... Yeah, everybody hates enemies that get back up. Uh, yeah, just and then when you send soldiers against them, you're just adding to the ranks. But we'll actually talk about that and some other topics just off of this little one about necromancy and uh, the walking dead or living dead type uh, scenarios, how they play out in uh, campaigns and uh, some uh, fresh ideas that we want to start injecting. So uh, oh, thanks yeah. again, Frost. Gives for... me an idea that I, I really want to hold on to and jot down for, uh, for that episode. Yes. Yeah. I've had some great scenarios and some great player responses to uh, those kind of scenarios, and yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to open the kimono all the way on that one. Well, I, I'll thank just, goodness. I'll let it flutter in the breeze a little, you know, just 
Oh, you had to put that. the sound effect in there, didn't you? I oh, wow. did. Wow. Little, little fluttering kimono sound. Mm. Paul, can you give me a fluttering kimono sound? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Thank you. All right. All right. So, all right, well, our columns are done. <laughs> we're right. going to get into topic here, and uh, tonight we're going to talk about poison. Yes. And that sounds like, well, gee, uh, how exciting. Poison, things that kill you. Well, uh, you know what? We're going to give it our all. So uh, stick around and uh, have some fun with it because not only are we the bad ham, but, you know. Yeah, speaking of things that you shouldn't ingest. <laughs> yeah, um, we're there is actually a lot of meat on the bones, so uh, stay tuned and come back after the break. That's a word from our sponsors. And we're back, and uh, thanks for listening. And, uh, of course, we'll come back with our topic, but again, just a reminder, Anchor Podcast is our sponsor, so if you're thinking about getting into podcasting, check out Anchor. Oh, yeah, easy as pie, man. Uh, but not to do a whole second advertisement on you. You know, we gush a little too much. Oh, no. A little the bit nice of thing is that, you know, uh, we're, you know, our sponsor is something that we actually 100% believe in and support. So Yeah, and uh, that's so... That's a pretty awesome place to be at. Getting into it. Poisons. Well... Hey, you know, um, poisons have really played a part in the game as part of a tricks, traps, dirty DM tricks sort of thing. It's it is a basically it's a sphincter tightener. You know, when you're you know mace a versus poison. Well, you know nobody does it out of you know kindness. Yeah, there's no fun in saving throw versus poison. Never. There's always a little uh, little sweat, little sweat drop. Uh, anime style, right over the head. Boop. Yipe. Roll well. Uh, now, that said, I mean, Poison goes right back to shortly after the beginning of the game. And I'm I'm going to assume, this is me myth-making here, okay? This is fiction on my part. I'm just going to say that. I imagine uh, that several encounters in, uh, with players having been faced with creatures that had powerful venoms, uh, somebody harvested it, said, all right, you know, I'm going to milk that dead poison snake's fangs until I get a batch of its hideously effective venom that took out two of our party members. Because uh, whatever that is, I want it working for me. Pardon me. Uh, <laughs> and the DM, uh, well, good for the goose, good for the gander. Uh, and once the, the cork was lifted, you know, once the genie's out of the yeah. bottle and Pandora's box is open, uh, well, that's not hope down at the bottom, folks. It's no. more poison. Um. <laughs> yeah, poison really uh, started out kind of as a... Well, yeah, there's no other way. It, it was a, a player screw you moment. It was a way to demonstrate that there was lethality at every turn. And, of course, it comes out of the classic uh, um, sources of the game from literature. Where would... Uh, Tarzan be without a venomous serpent trying to bite at him, you know, and attention to everything. And of course, you know, um, oh, and of course, everybody remembers Lord of the Rings. Uh, you yep, know, Frodo yep. gets a Morgul and the Shiv stuck in him, and you know, that breaks the tip off. And uh, you know, only a very certain curative can uh, relieve him of his suffering. So, and she, um, uh, well, that too, you know, poison figures heavily in literature and history. So it was inevitable, just inevitable that it was going to be a part of the game. Uh, because so many things out of 
like Arthurian mythos and uh, Celtic lore, Norse and uh, Greek lore. Uh, there are so many little references to toxins uh, and, you know, sleeping drafts and, you know, where would your Germanic fairy tales be without the potion that makes you sleep? Yeah. Morgan Le Fay putting Arthur to bed, Betty by for, you know, who knows how long. Mm -hmm. uh, now, that having been said, once it got its hooks into the game, it rapidly started to evolve. I mean, you, the, the thing about D&D is that it finds ways to assign parameters to things that are not random, you know. Right. You, you've got to find a way to fit them into the game and then add a small random element to create a chance for survival and a mechanic by which it is adjudicated. And that is the cool thing about D&D to me, that it, it takes any circumstance and starts to transform it into something that can be quantified, that can be measured, that can be accounted for. Uh, and it puts it into game terms. That's a wonderful thing. Exactly. And... I think at this point, it's good to start mentioning what is the difference of poison. This is a good segue for this. You know, poison is something you ingest. Uh, true. A poison, a true poison is, if it is poisonous, you ingested it. You ate it or drank it. If it's venomous, uh, then it was something that bit you or was injected into you, you know, by a creature. Uh, now, obviously... We use the loose term poisons for all of the toxins, venoms, uh, bacterial yeah. agents, and other things that can be introduced into the human body by any other possible means. Right. And there are, you know, uh, there's insinuatives, ones applied to blades or arrows, and uh, those are pretty much the most commonplace. And then when the poisonous serpent would kill two party members, <laughs> and the survivors would milk the giant cobra of its lethal venom, and then proceed to use it on every monster, the DM started to get a little peeved. Yeah, and yeah. that's where the limits come in. Like, okay, you get one use while it's still fresh. Yep, or you have a chance while handling a bladed weapon. If you accidentally poison yourself. I put it on my mace! <laughs> like, what are you, why are you laughing at me? I, I poisoned my mace. <laughs> if I beat somebody with it, you know, I, I could open up a, a wound with a <laughs> okay, yeah, well, I'm uh, just going to move on. Yeah, at that point, just finish the job hitting him in the head and run. Okay. <laughs> uh, let him have it, champ. But yeah, there was a, a <laughs> chance for mishandling poisons, and from that uh, came more mechanics, like the assassin having the ability to expertly handle poisoned weapons with no chance of mishap. Yes, and this was one of the interesting facets of the creation of the assassin class, was that this was a class at last that encompassed uh, something that most of the other classes had kind of missed out on. Uh, there was a marked inclination to treat poisons as an effectively evil act, especially if they were fatal or serious harm-causing. Uh, they were unfair in a fight, and therefore not for the good. Uh, but, yeah. you know, unless, of course, uh, the loophole we threw in years later on our own was that uh, is it a sleeper or a paralytic, and your intention is not to kill them, but to simply neutralize them so that you don't have to kill them? Okay, you know what? Nice, nice job there, Mr. Good Guy. That's okay. You can, you can do that. You didn't want to kill people, so that makes it all kosher. 
Ah. Yes, because <laughs> people can be very talkative. If you stab a half ounce of screaming death type four into yeah. another living creature, you're bad. And the assassin opened the door to spying, impersonation of people, forgery of papers, uh, and the actual act of assassination. Uh, and it also made a good mechanic as a class because it, as a class, was available to the DM to use for NPCs. Mm -hmm. Okay, just because it's in the player's handbook does not mean that it's only for players. This was power handed to the DM. A expert poison-wielding uh, spy who watches you first and has a percentage chance after having observed you, your character sufficiently long, uh, they've got a fair shot at just killing you right out of the gate. You know, right, and the assassin ah! spy was a hireling right out of the DM section in the original edition. But mm. back to poison. Originally, when poisons came out, it was pretty much a save or die thing. Occasionally, there was effect like you were paralyzed or you fell asleep. Yeah, we touched on this in the saving throws episode, which is kind of what led us to wanting to talk about this. That you know, it, it began with a really simple mechanic, which is bonus to saving throw, but it's a weak poison. Penalty to saving throw, but it's a very strong poison. Mm -hmm. And it was just simple as that. Save or die. Or, and as the DM's guide started to extrapolate for certain types of formulated poisons, you could also have damage. And, you know, the poisons began to receive a fairer treatment rather than just killing people outright, which was kind of the alignment thing, which we're not going to really touch too much on here. I think Mike's pretty covered that well. Yeah. But we... We would be remiss if we didn't say that that's why poisons were so frowned upon in the early parts was they were almost always lethal. There was no sedative or narcoleptic type poison that, you know, would subdue somebody for a short period of time. You yeah. Know, like you could poison the watchman's uh, drinks with a sedative that would put them to sleep for a time, but not unduly hurt them. So you could sneak in, you know, that, you know, it was always like, oh, all the poisons you can get by out of the uh, DM's Guide were like that. So uh, they started to evolve uh, through Dragon Magazine, had several articles in the uh, early parts of different types of poisons and their effects. Correct. Which, these were terrific articles that added a lot, okay? Uh, for a single article, I mean, and we literally, for first edition games, we, we have photocopies of the original page from the magazine uh, that are kept for very key articles. Yeah. And that stack includes the, you know, uh, poisons lists uh, as expanded upon in Dragon Magazine. Yeah, and sometimes they got exhaustive and very specific, like puff adder poison versus cobra venom and all, and scorpion venom and all that. But it, it's not really as exhaustive as what would come later and it would take to about the middle of second edition they started really coming out with a exhaustive list of just not poisons that more or less replicate the same sort of thing but different categories yeah and the option to put people to sleep uh, by various means be it powder uh, blown in their face yep. or gas uh, released into a room yeah, since you're already dealing with this of traps and dungeons with poison gas and such, yeah. it was only natural to assume that somebody, somebody out there, obviously, if it exists in a dungeon, then, you know, 
I mean, it must exist somewhere outside of that vacuum, correct? You know, it was a, it was a really easy leap of logic. Uh, and they finally codified it. They got it down to second edition where you had a wide variety of delivery systems, uh, a wide variety of degrees of harm, uh, the ability to paralyze uh, or put to sleep uh, at will, you know, which, again, uh, your enemy's got a saving throw, but uh, it didn't take it off the table. But the same rule always had held true, which we touched on a very long time ago, uh, and that is that with the exception of non-harmful poisons, uh, almost any use of poison by a good character is an inherently non-good act. It is just, if you're not just putting somebody to sleep so that you don't have to break their neck, that is just about the only circumstance where you're not going to take an alignment thing. You so know, it, it's still to be handled carefully by DM. A paladin or cavalier or knightly person oh. still might not use it. Oh, hell no. Not them. A paladin may be talked into it if it's something of great vital I, importance to take somebody alive, and this is the only way you're going to do it. Uh, and, and in that case, they may not be willing to fire the bolt themselves, but rather, like, okay, I accept that this is a way that you can do this without killing the guy. I don't want to have any part with this myself. Well, yeah, but also say, like, somebody's under a mental control or a cursed item, and you need to... Yeah, they'll view that as a forgivable act. If, you, yeah, if yeah. you're incapacitating somebody so that you don't have to kill them, or they're an innocent who has been enspelled or uh, hypnotized, yeah, all right, rescuing an innocent, they'll totally forgive the fact that, well, yeah, sure, I used poison to knock them out, but come on, man, you know, they're innocents. I didn't want to kill them. Your rogue can drop that line on the paladin, right. and it'll pass. It'll, it'll, it'll make it through the smell test. Yeah. Okay? It may not make it to the scratch test, but it'll definitely make it to the stuff. <laughs> but anyway, uh, moving. besides moving it along and being, besides being overly specific towards alignment again, um, we just need to mention that poisons became more useful and our players began to receive a little bit more uh, utility out of poisons rather than just simply like being viewed askance by the good aligned members of the party. Like, mm, yeah, poisons. a little more moral leeway. Uh, popped open, uh, which as soon as the, the, you know, it's open season on it, uh, uh, players are not stupid. They know when they, they can smell an advantage, and they certainly know when they've been hit with something and it was effective against them. That's a desirable trait, so. Tell Cersei it was me. <laughs> yeah, when you got those kind of poisons running around the game, yeah, you You've got a reason to have a little cringe factor. Oh yeah, I uh, <laughs> I put a mushroom in a game that like uh, in any anybody erroneously handling, ingesting, or making use of it. Uh, at first, it was massively illegal because it was a uh, what you'd refer to as a screamer. It induced absolute stark raving madness and terror uh, that incapacitated your opponent for a period of time. Uh, and this was, you know, a handwritten creation. Uh, and it was, broadly speaking, absolutely forbidden by all good persons to use. Uh, the neutral uh, could get away with it uh, if they were using it against something evil. And, uh, of course, evil people, of course, can use it. But the, the players did. They, they very delicately plucked one when they came across one. Held it. 
for quite some time in an enspelled vial to keep it fresh. And in a truly dire situation where they were facing a Lamia, uh, hit her right in the face with it. <laughs> and man, imagine my surprise when that mushroom they got their paws on like two months before. Ping! Ah! Oh, the humanity! Yeah, no. I, I was I was a little nonplussed for. Or all. the inhumanity. Yeah, it's not pretty. Uh, crazed screaming Lamia, but. No, it came in handy, and they used it against an evil opponent. So I don't think this is a terrible thing. Uh, now let's try the third edition era. Well, yeah, so is we're going to evolutionary get a, step here. When third edition came in, uh, they introduced the concept of conditions and also poisons and ability damage. And like, for instance, in first edition, a giant centipede bite was plus four to its save, and what would still kill you. And now it just did some dex damage. And you also had the lingering effect of poison. Once you were poisoned until you fully made so many saves, like one save or two consecutive saves after a period of time, you would then finally shrug it off where it just didn't take. Um, it wasn't that it didn't have an effect, but your saving throw represented more or less your hardiness versus the actual effect of the poison versus you. Yeah, and I, I know that... Although I occasionally drift into Grognard Turp, and I can be, you know, very curmudgeonly about, you know, ah, wussies, it's not like the old days where poison would kill you. Uh, they still have poisons that will kill. Oh, yeah. In um, the newer editions. Constitution but, damage over a period of time. Yeah. Uh, watch your hit points just nosedive from that. Uh, but I felt that it lent an air of realism in that there are a great many poisons, toxins, and venoms that do not kill. They harm, they impede, like uh, severe muscle cramps, okay? Yeah, uh, dexterity damage, strength damage. Yeah, that would be reflected in strength and dex damage. Uh, or things that sicken and nauseate, uh, you know, diminishing constitution temporarily. And the new dynamic lent itself well to, like, parsing out those really fine details. Exactly what type of poison is this? Uh, yeah, you got a feel. I mean, and also... Um, Diseases and all that also took a toll, like, uh, oh, yeah, um, you know, ability damage with that and gained a lent an air of rather than just killing you, you had different effects that went on over a period of time, debilitating you, of course. But and you're not going to be out of this zone for a while, uh, you know, you may want to like get that secure shelter going and uh, hunker the party down because. You know, if you've got uh, two or more party members who are under the influence of a poison uh, and their stats and abilities are diminished or their movement is hampered uh, or they're missing a lot of hit points owed to that, like those three points off their constitution, really uh, <laughs> all their bonuses went bye-bye with that. Yeah, you, you really did some harm to them. Uh, and as a DM... I do not dislike flexible tools. I love them. I, yeah. The more flexible the tool is, the, the more it allows me to customize the threat to the strength of the party. Uh, and that's like literally the, the biggest selling point to the later editions was the, the way in which threat was scaled properly and was made easier for new DMs to scale. Not everybody is going to like, well, nobody puts on their DM hat and on day one, boom, all of the magical knowledge of DMs has flowed into my being. 
Every fiber of my body radiates wisdom and gaming. Uh, doesn't work like that. We all fumble around, we all have no idea, and then we slowly pick up tricks as we, we go on. And giving new DMs really easy-to-use tools, ah, I thought it was a total win-win. Right, and, you know, with poisons, also came the ability to kind of, well, I don't want to say cushion the blow, because giant scorpion venom, you know, it's either, you either save, and if you save, okay, you live, and then you still take some constitution damage, and you still have to save next round, or the same thing happens until you shrug it off. <laughs> and, I mean, there are some, I think it's brown or flame, or fumes, that's uh, inhaled, that's just brutal. Oh, dear. Three consecutive saves to get rid of a constitution damage every round, even oh. if you do save. It's just, which wow. one is worse? Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff like that, but, you know, the creativity of the Dungeon Master and even players like Alchemists and others can really come into the fore, and I think that's a good thing. And no matter how much you may despise a new or old edition for its various systems, there's always something to look for to transferring or taking from it. And I think that uh, Poisons, in the original edition, it wasn't that they were lax or they didn't care. It's just how much space can you devote to creating all the symptoms and conditions that are present in the real world? And the answer to that is, well, you're limited to your page count and also how much time yeah. you want to spend to it. And they left a lot of that to the creativity of the individual DMs. Which I also approve of, you know, letting DMs be creative. But I, I will say... Uh, you know, exercise discretion. You know, use your, your own discretion, but exercise it wisely, okay? Uh, perfect example being the comment about 3rd edition, uh, and the, the thing that I liked most was the scale of threat. You mm -hmm. know, match it to the party. And I'm a, you know, just to go out on a limb, oh, the kimono is fluttering here. Okay? Oh, no. I'm going to open the kimono. Uh, innermost secrets. I'm a big fan of the whittling effect, which is just what I call it. I don't even... Now I've got a picture of an old guy sitting out on a porch. <laughs> but whittling players down uh, in ways that subtly diminish them and exhaust their resources uh, is great, especially if you have them on a timeline. If there's a deadline involved and X amount has to be accomplished before that deadline, the way to turn up the pressure is not just to throw one bigger-than-usual monster in front of them. Uh, sometimes it's a series of subtle challenges, and, uh, you know, you, you happen to have just run them through a room with poisoned darts that shoot out of the walls, and, you know, any number of them got pelted. Uh, or a little further down the road, uh, they run into uh, a couple of clay golems, and you know, the, the old healing spells aren't going to work real quick on that. Uh, you know, now two clay golems would be for a higher level party, mind you. Well, yeah. But the point being that each threat diminishes resources and wears down players. It places them in an unenviable position when the time for the big conflict comes. So if they're well-stocked and well-provisioned, uh, you can really shave their budget of goodies down uh, to reasonable levels uh, inside a dungeon. Now, if they're particularly cautious and very stubborn about it, uh, they might get
crafty and say, well, we're just going to go back to town, heal up properly, and then come back and try again. It's okay. You know what? Let them do it. I, I'm not saying, you know, Bigfoot them. I am saying that you humbled them for a moment. So that, too, is a victory. If they have to exercise caution and creativity, and they have to manage their resources, they're working. And busy players are happy players. Well, it adds tension. Um, yeah. You know, it, there's a term for resource reduction and five-minute work days and all that. I find those terms to be kind of That's cringy because... Corporate-y, buzzword-y. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're out of runway. We're, we uh, we, we got to synergize our paradigm. Or, yeah, you know, just, yeah. Screw their right. noise. Uh, yeah, spoken like two uh, <laughs> managers of factories. So <laughs> I was... Both me and Mike have... Uh, some lengthy experience in the corporate management world. So. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> oh, Mallard... I, I will say sarcastically, oh, such happy memories. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, motiv- the demotivational posters were my guerrilla marketing tactic against them. Let's just say We'll that talk the... about that some other time. But <laughs> This is why I consider Brazil one of my favorite comedies of all times. So. Um, and, but one thing that I did and with Mike is just to add this is uh, to add tension... For a low-level adventure, um, I believe it was the uh, Age of Worms Adventure Path, that very first dungeon near Diamond Lake. The more time there was, it was called the Whispering, I want to say Vaults, but that's not it. But whatever it is, it was a dungeon that had these weird harmonics in it. And at first it wasn't, other than just an eerie noise generated by the winds going through it, it didn't have any effect. But the longer you stayed in there, the more unnerving it got, and you made... Secret saving throws for the players or just ask them whatever you wanted device you wanted to do, but you weren't telling them the effects. When they started to fail, they started to take penalties versus will saves over a period of time. And this also, as Mike said, just like a poison or other effects, you're starting to add tension to the time that they spend in there. The longer in there, they can't rest, they can't sleep. You know, sleep is haunted. And there are uh, permeations of the Horrible torments that were placed in this place, uh, that were done in this place, evil magic, all that mm, crap. I love but, and it would haunt the player's dreams and provide vistas for future events to happen. And so the Age of Worms was born in this area. And so I thought that was really a comprehensive way to treat a long term effect that didn't necessarily harm the players, but it also added. Yeah, I mean, it, the, it falls right into the poison category right. really well, too. It's an effect that is inflicted upon the player characters uh, <clears throat> intentionally by the DM's narrative. Yeah, most people didn't stay there for two or three hours, but if you send, spent six hours in there, you know, that's when the effects started to creep in. And if you decided to camp out, even nearby outside, or outside, yeah, we'll be tied you. But... Um, as it is, we'll end it up there. I think that was a yeah. really uh, good treatment on it and uh, well thought out. And if you liked what you heard and what we talked about tonight, of course, you can always let us know on our Facebook page, The Dice Are Screaming. Uh, request and join, and we'll add you on that one. And so you can contribute. Also, you can get a hold of us on Twitter if uh, you want to comment to us directly. We're always available. Yes. Uh, him at uh, Death Hand, D-E-T-H. And Yep. Gaming. Gaming. And uh, I might. Myself at Magi Box oh, on right. Twitter. I was going to hear the shout out. 
But yeah, you can get all of us and uh, let us know if there's something you'd like to hear. And of course, always keep those calls coming. We really like to hear from you guys and, you know, never, never a uh, unwanted call unless you just call them to tell us like, I really hated your show and I think you guys are a bunch of turds. And, well, you know. Okay, I mean, it's a free country. Yeah, yeah, uh, you're probably not wrong, but at the same time, uh, you know, you can keep it that to yourself. Yeah, and, you know, never worry. I mean, you cannot possibly have a lower opinion of us than we already have of us. I exactly. Mean, look, at this point, you know, you are you are chasing the impossible. I want to make them feel bad about themselves. <laughs> Too late. Oh, dude, you are late. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you... You are going to have to get up a lot earlier in, in the, the morning, morning. To, <laughs> to have a lower opinion of the bad ham of gaming podcasts than, than we do. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, but thank you. Just let us know, uh, like, if you like something, didn't like it, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll make it a, a part of our topic, and, uh, you know, we'll get back to you. So, become involved. Radio message. But at that, I think we've worn out our good welcome. And uh, it's time for us to log off. So, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.